Welcome to Art Talk with April. I'm April Harris. I'm the artist of Inked April located in Birmingham, Alabama. And this podcast is going to be about all things art. We'll talk about books, invite some artists to interviews, and much, much more. Let's get started. Welcome to Art Talk with April. And today we have the lovely Tabitha Lindquist Grace. And she is primarily a interdisciplinary and um, in the past has done some multimedia work. So welcome, Tabitha. Thank you so much for volunteering (laughs) for the experiment, so to speak. Um, So where are you located at? Uh, right now, I'm living in Carbon Hill. Okay. With Jasper, right outside of Birmingham. Well, um, so tell us about your journey as an artist. Like, where did you start out? Like, were you interested in art from the beginning? And if you went to school for art or anything like that? Uh, well, I grew up in a military family. And, you know, my granddad farmed. He Well, he was a military career military person, but also had a farm. And so I wouldn't say we always had like the most money, but creativity has been in my family. Like my granddad on the farm, if he had a job to do and he didn't have the tool for it, he would make the tool. Um, sewed our clothes. I remember going to a couple, I always kind of like, we've been exposed to it, I guess. It was part of our normal everyday life, like making things I and mean, being creative is something my mom really made sure that we had access to, but I actually, I had art. I remember in elementary school before they kind of phased out art from the public schools here in Alabama, at least I know they a lot of elementary and middle schools don't have art teachers anymore. And so I think the last art class I really remember, remember was probably second grade. My art, I remember her actually talking about the fact that they had just started discussing whether or not they were going to phase out art, telling me that. And I got really upset and she took me to the principal and had me tell the principal you know, she's like, Hey, tell him what you just told me. Because I was like beside myself that I wouldn't be able to go into this classroom and have art anymore. And then I don't really remember having art after that. That was in North Carolina until in middle school, we got to take like half a semester was one elective and half a semester was the other elective. So my first half I had an art class. And then after that, I never took art again. Like I dabbled here and there. I would like buy a sketchbook and buy some paints, paint a couple things in it and then never touch it again. It wasn't until I moved to Huntsville and I was in school for science. I was like three to five classes away from a science degree with a teaching license here. Like the Huntsville Museum of Art has an academy and you can go take classes at a watercolor or oil and in a pottery class for Christmas. I took I really enjoyed the watercolor and I enjoyed the pottery because it's messy and I like working with my hands but oil painting the most room to learn there the like most possibilities for color and image making I was like I'm going to do this for the rest of my life but I was still in art school and planned on being a middle school science teacher right that would be my hobby on the side (laughs) and so we were on our way to see I think his family and we got on this plane and on the plane or while we were waiting to get on the plane, I saw this magazine. It was a seed magazine. And it said the future of science is art. And I bought it (laughs) because it was just at the same time that I was studying science, but learning art at the Hunts Museum of Art in these classes. And I was like, I have to buy this magazine. And I bought the magazine and I read the article. I still have that magazine. Wow. Um, I subscribed to that magazine. I still have all of them. They don't publish hard copies anymore but and that was it that's when I was like 
my husband came home from a, from a Baja trip with Auburn university one weekend. And I'm like, I am enrolling in art school. <laughs> like while I've gone on this trip, I've researched all these schools. I looked at Goddard, UAH, Montevallo, A&M, and I ended up picking UAH. And I was like, I'm not going to go to be a science teacher anymore. Sorry. And I was at in Huntsville, which was a science museum that's not open anymore. And that was it. From there on, it was like, till the from the time I got up until the time I went to bed, it was art. Yeah. So I got a graduate degree at UAH in painting and drawing. And then I couldn't decide if I wanted art ed or an MFA. And I applied to three different programs and got an all two were art education. One was an MFA program. And I decided to go for my MFA program at Goddard. That's really cool. That's a, that's a lot. Like I, when, um, like in school in the Montgomery area, we didn't really have art at that young of an age. I mean, like we would do art projects and things like that, but there wasn't really like yeah. a real program. Not until you got until more like a junior high, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And then, through high school, you know? So, but that was a huge, huge influence on me as an artist and, and growing up. So I can't imagine the tears flowing and be like, oh no. <laughs> well, and part of it was because like I grew up on the coast. So we lived really small to a lot of really tiny beach towns. But I just remember it wasn't just the classroom. It was that it was in this like old kind of, kind of like beach shack style building that yeah. was like off to the side of the school. And it was the art teacher too. She had, she was like, she had this big, like untamable blonde hair and she had all these silver rings and wore these like really patterned skirts and like, but she had kind of like a feminine and masculine energy at the same time she was kind of like this little it was just like magical you know you walked in and there was art you know she had strings strung across the walls with like art clothes pinned to them and it was just Um, like it was almost like a kid's playhouse mm -hmm. you know but the art classroom so it was different than the like 1970s utilitarian brick school (laughs) yeah oh it, it was all of it. And not only that, but it was one of the places I know that, you know, elementary teachers try to bring art in to help kids learn other material, yeah. but not art's sake, like just a space yeah. to like creative and learn about artists and learn about making, mm-hmm. so, you know, without, you know, an, an ulterior motive, like let's learn science today through art or let's learn. I was going to say one of my very first sort of art projects that I remember doing was actually a science themed like assignment. And it was drawing the eye anatomy, technical drawing of the eye in fourth grade. Like And I was just like, Ooh, (laughs) this is interesting. (laughs) But, um, so it was kind of like, you know, it was the intention was science, but I enjoyed the art part of it, you know. <laughs> I know that you're working on some, I guess, do you work in a series? Is that how you typically kind of work? Yeah, I I always work in a series. And 
I was watching, it was like an intro video to the, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but the Glasgow School of Art. Mm. Yeah. Thought I was really into when I first started my degree at UAH, I was like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, overseas and get my MFA and like learn art from, you know, all these places are so much older than us with all this culture. And I was obsessed for some reason with that school. And I watched a video professors was on there and she was talking. It's just something that she said that stuck with me. And she was like, every time you make something, make multiples. If I could give any artist advice, it would be always make things in multiples, you know, finish the idea out in a series. Don't just make one, explore it a little bit more to, to see, you know, really work that idea out. Mm. If that, you know, is something that interests you or just to see where it goes before you give up on it. It was kind of like she was saying, if you just make one, then you're kind of giving up on it after that. Right. I was like, that kind of makes sense to me. So I've always tried to, when I make something, make multiples of them. Mm -hmm. That way I'm kind of a materials person too. Uh, So I kind of want to, if I'm going to do something, I want to push the limits of it. So I always try to, you know, or if it's a new material I'm using, I want to see what all the colors of that material do. Because a lot of the art that I make is kind of experiment, really. Yeah. Um, But I don't ever, I don't think I've ever made just one of anything, except for maybe sculpture. Yeah, yeah. Sculpture has encapsulating an idea because of it's like three-dimensional and you can change your orientation to that object yeah. and see perspectives. It kind of like the fact that it exists in that third dimension is kind of like taking the idea to the other level. Cause you're thinking about all the different perspectives of it. Yeah. So I think sculpture is the only thing I've ever honestly made just one. of. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Well, I really yeah. like the idea of that too. I mean, it makes sense to, um, and I think a lot of artists, I don't know. These days, like when you see art online and that kind of thing, a lot of artists don't necessarily work in a series. And sometimes I wonder if they're just making things for the Internet's sake, you know, to post something online. And so they make one of something, but they're not really exploring the idea further. And I myself fall into that sometimes, you know, when I'm just like playing around and then I don't really make a series necessarily so that's really interesting and I bet you really get to think about like the materials the supplies the medium that you're using and you get to try different things and really push the limits of it right yeah well I kind of feel like so I make everything in a series Mm -hmm. but at the same time I don't really feel like I have found like Ever since I've started making art, I feel as though I have tried to find, like, I'm searching for my life's work. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. the artists online, some of them, especially a lot of those that I follow, like you or some of the other painters, they really have a, their style is so well defined mm-hmm. so that they're exploring new things new subject matter, new ideas, all their work still looks exactly. So they're still exploring new things. They're just exploring it in their own style, but I have not put style 
or an identifiable necessarily style at the forefront of the ideas and things that I'm exploring. And so while I make a series, every time I make something, all my, all this series of my work of each, you know, of these series, they all look different from each other, kind of radically different. But then I was talking to, um, someone came and gave an artist talk at low mill one time through the Alabama Women's Caucus of Art. Yeah. And, and he said, you know, and it was kind of a social media workshop. So we were talking about this exact thing mm-hmm. and he was like, well, you may not see, you know, the d- defining thread that runs through all your work, but I do. Yeah. And I get more removed from it so he could see that. But I think a lot of the people who are on Instagram and it seems really like scattered or schizophrenic are really the beginning stages of being an artist. I don't think they're people with a dedicated practice that they've been, you know, they've been to school for, or, you know, it's more of just like creative time for them. And they're not worried about that yet. Yeah. Cause I came out, there's people, they're just making any and every and all, you know, not that creative play isn't can't be taken seriously. I just think that they're not um, thinking about it in a more professional way, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Not really sort of like they're just uh, playing around and um, trying different things. But I mean, in the same sense though, as professional artists, that's what we do. That's what we're really doing. You know? Yeah. But at the same time, we're also worried about presentation, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think once you consider yourself, once you start thinking of yourself seriously as an artist, as like a profession, mm-hmm. not that there's not amazing art out there made by people whose profession is engineering and they do art as a hobby. There are, you know, with incredible bodies of work, I guess what I'm saying is, is that once I think you consider yourself a professional and that this is what you want your profession and your career to be like, this is your life. You start thinking more about things like presentation. Mm-hmm. You be more selective about what you put out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what's tied to your name. Cause you have to kind of consider yourself as more of a brand, right. Digestible to the general public. And so those are things that we might consider that they don't because they're just putting all out there because they're mm-hmm. having fun. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, enjoyable for them to do and they're doing it and that's one of those things that I myself have really I think I put a lot of pressure on myself personally as a younger artist to try to figure that out like how do you feel about that do you feel like you kind of felt like I need to I need to know my direction and do something or I did when I was in school because they're kind of like pushing you they're kind of easing you into that thought yeah right thinking about your career as far as like getting into galleries or possibly museums or body of work and and these kinds of things and so they kind of push you into a professional uh, mindset Mm -hmm. so while I was in school I did before I was in school I didn't share my work at all it was just for me at home by myself but I also think it is incredibly dangerous to a degree for artists to immediately come out of the gate 
making art and you, and sharing that art and then getting, like you said, being pressured into finding an identity and only doing that thing. And usually it's because if you're putting it out there, which is why we make art, I make art to share it. I don't make it just for myself. Yeah. But you get pulled into a direction where you're making things you don't have any joy in making anymore for the likes, for the money, for the, you know? Yeah. It was kind of like in school, they may have been pushing me to think about my work in a more professional way. But at the same time, we were required to take more classes outside of our focus Mm -hmm. than we our focus. So like I was a painting and drawing major. I was only allowed to take, I think four or five painting classes. The other three years of my art degree had to be, you had to try like two other mediums and then take those two or three other mediums and go up to the second or third level of class, like printmaking one. I took photography one and printmaking one and printmaking two, but then I took books one and two, you know, like they were Require you to explore all those mediums, but it's in this like really supportive kind of insular community where you're getting feedback without putting it out to the general public yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like try to define yourself as an artist. I would just be careful about how it is that you're defining yourself as an artist as you're also trying to find your identity as an artist, if that makes sense. Because the identity that you craft for an audience is not going to be the same identity that you would make for yourself, regardless of an audience, if that makes sense. It's a good thing to think about, but it can also be a really dangerous thing. <laughs> I'm stop making art because you get pigeonholed into making a monetary living and paying your bills off of your art. And then you're making all this stuff that you don't even, you find no joy in it. Yeah. Which will, it will just like shrivel up your little artist's heart and you can stop <laughs> making, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way. I mean, like I've, I've been offered opportunities to do things like kind of home portraiture, like drawing people's homes and things like that, or doing portraiture at all. Really, a lot of that feels very like, this is like, if I got started in this, it might be profitable for a moment, but then I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely be unhappy, you know? Right. Cause yeah. you just can't express yourself. You may get that feeling of, you know, initial, initially I'm getting a lot of orders and commissions and things like that, but then you start to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm absolutely burnt out on drawing people's houses, you know, yeah. that, and that's just, it doesn't really go anywhere. And so you're not really exploring anything outside of that because that's the thing that you've, I guess, sort of narrowed in on from the very beginning, you know? I mean, some people are able to work it out where like, if that's, what's making you money, start charging a higher price Mm. to where I can make the same amount of money, but making less say home portraits. Yeah. Still making home portraits you're still getting commissions, but you're still making money at them, but you're doing less of them because they cost more. Mm. And then you have more free time to do the art that you enjoy. I mean, you have to find a balance. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone does. I think it's, it's one of those. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the podcast is to try to explore 
you know, because we all go through different stages and different paths and it doesn't look the same, even though, like, I believe that kind of the world sees the artist's path as the same, but it never is. No. Well, okay. So if you think about art as something that is important to daily life, Mm -hmm. right then your perspective on art changes. If you kind of get rid of this idea of art as the lone genius, which the museum and gallery of work and that structure of the artist genius in order to sell things, like this is the next biggest, you know, the next biggest thing in art. Yeah. You know, the ideas he's working with are super important to the times. And, and so, you know, you have to come see his work and invest in it. Mm sell art you know but if you think about art it can be that but it's also like a daily function in life like eating well everybody eats and everybody cooks for survival and for their health but how many people do you know who make money cooking good money i'm talking about like able to live well Mm -hmm. and struggle I'm not talking about like fast food restaurant employees I'm talking about like chefs right yeah get to do that yeah but everybody eats right and everybody cooks at home right like or you know even you know people who clean homes Mm. right we all clean our own homes for our own sanity and well-being and health but like who gets paid to do it and out of all those people who get paid to do it who does it well yeah enough to living that is so you know what I mean like art is an innate part of the human experience just like eating procuring food which used to be hunting and gathering but now you know you go to the grocery store like all these things are part of normal everyday life art is that too yeah you know but we're so far removed from it because you know museum and gallery systems Mm -hmm. and they've put it into the me, you know, mass media over the years to promote. Yeah. It's for other reasons too. You know, you have uh, eras of our history where we're at war and people do not have the luxury to make art. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have. You know, they're worried about other things like survival. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I just think that the perspective of art needs to change. Like I have started teaching kids. And I have to say, I prefer teaching children to to teaching in universities because they don't question whether or not they're an artist. (laughs) They're like, art supplies and you give them like a general framework of what to do. And it's amazing what they come up with. And they have no problem breaking the rules. You know, like five times do it this way, please. And they will be, I'm sorry. I just got to do it my way. And there's not, and and they don't even say, I'm sorry. Like there's no apologies. They just know that they make something, you know? Oh, like the older we get, the more we fall out of line with it because, you know, we're in school and we're, we're always taught to think forward to like what we're going to do for money. Like, how are you going to survive? That's what our parents and our teachers are there for is to set us up to survive in life. Right. Like, how are we going? But I think now we're in a time, especially with COVID 
and all these other things, people are finally starting to realize how important to include in your daily life for health. Like part of being a productive adult is to take a break and take time to play. Something outside of your job that makes you money, that gives you value as a person. Like I just made this table. Um, I just renovated my own kitchen. I just built my kids a swing set. You know, anything like that could be considered art if you think about sure. it. Something, creative, something where you're making, building. I think you're right about that. I think with the pandemic and everything, people are um, valuing that time to express themselves and be creative and play and make things more than they were. And that previous to that, it was very kind of taken for granted and looked at like maybe even a luxury or something that just wasn't necessary for right. day-to-day life. I'm one of those people who feels like it's necessary. Like I, like my husband will say, okay, you're being really grouchy. You need to go like do, go make some art. Like you haven't, <laughs> you haven't made any art in a while or, you know, which isn't the case now I make it constantly, but um, there have been times where he was like, okay, you need to go have some art time because you're getting, you're being frustrating. Like I could tell, you know? So, I mean, to me, it's very, it's a very human experience and something that is just necessary to life, you know? So I feel like I, I might have a, a unique perspective in that or, um, like in my personal life, But I feel like that's also what you were saying about, you know, children not having any kind of they they haven't learned to think about, well, this isn't good or I'm not doing a good job or this isn't what it's supposed to be. Right. Because on one side of the coin is priorities like children haven't really learned to prioritize certain parts of themselves over other parts of themselves because as a child not being a person 100% responsible for yourself you're still open to who you're becoming and what you're good at and all these things so for a, for in the body of a child all the possibilities exist right but then as we get older and we find out what we're naturally adept at or what is going to provide the lifestyle that we want or what we're truly interested in. Then we start to prioritize certain parts of ourselves over other parts of ourselves. But the other point of that is like you were saying, like if you get into an art class and I'm really careful about this when I, especially with children, but when you get into it's different on a university level, because at that point they're looking for critique. They're looking, I want to make the best possible you know, version of this thing that I'm being required to make. But as kids, that's not really the case. There is the craftsmanship creates space where you can be with your own ideas Mm. and take the idea given to you and then try to make something else from it. Mm. You know, you're and that very experience in itself is really important for kids to have. But I'm always really careful to just say, these are the materials we're using. This is kind of like, the prompt to get you started. And then I let it be because too much criticism on a child, especially when they're the, it's a huge learning curve. Anytime you teach kids art, Mm. right. Because their bodies, you know, motor skills, or they may not have made anything at home before. Most of the kids I've met also coming into 
art for the first time and wanting to know what that experience is like. So like any kid, if all they're doing is being redirected into making the exact same thing as everybody else and told it's wrong, it, you know, I've already told the kids that this year, some kids that, you know, started break down crying. I did it wrong. No, you didn't do it wrong. You did it different. Yeah. Does it wrong. You just didn't do it. Like I did it. Does it still work? It still works. So you've just done it different. You know, like maybe you have done something innovative mm-hmm. and we don't know it yet. You know, you got to, it's, it needs to be a positive experience. And when they do come to it, if they have the bravery to come to it again, they're going to come to it with such a critical eye that they may not make what to them would be authentic because they're scared of failure. Mm, yeah. What would you say is one of your your biggest learning experience in your journey? Like um, something that you've been successful at or felt really good about or um, something that maybe you um, you wish you had done differently or thought differently about? It's a big question. <laughs> Everything that I do, I've done so many different things that I don't really feel like I've ever done any one thing long enough to like everything has been a big learning experience for me. You know, broadcasting, marble carving, iron casting, welding, woodworking, like oil painting, watercolor. I guess the biggest thing for me, and it may just be my personality type, I can't really pin down why I'm like this, but I have no shame when it comes to failure. Like I just, like, I sometimes purposely set myself up to fail, you know, like (laughs) they only use this medium like this. Now I'm going to use it exactly not like that because I want push. And it may be being from like a military family where everything is like super strict and really rigid. And it's like, Oh, you told me I can't do that, but I know that I can. (laughs) (laughs) Later I'll show you some of the things I'm working on. There are things that I'm just making up out of the blue. You know what I mean? Everything to me is like the biggest lesson at first. Mm. And then once I like fail, 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 then I learn all the limits of those materials or that idea. I guess I've had a lot of luck. I know there have been times I made these sculptures one time. My mom gave me all this really high quality pink wool yarn that had been spun in different ways. And I wrapped these like, you know, the dividers that they glue on windows now. They're not like real wood dividers. They're like these plastic things. Yeah. We had a bunch of those laying around the house and they were like the perfect size of a cross. I was like, I'm going to make, you know, some crucified Barbies. So I just, <laughs> and I don't know where I get this stuff from. It just sounds, it made me laugh. A lot of the things that I make, I was like, I'm going to crucify some Barbies. So I just, I could have been reading feminist articles at the time or something. I don't even really know, but I just started like wrapping these window fake pain dividers with like this you know obnoxiously hot pink wool super handmade looking yarn of all different kinds and then got embroidery hoops and put some quilting fabric in the embroidery hoops and then took I made a mold of like a cheap Dollar Tree Barbie doll and cast them in wax and I was like well this sounded really good in my head but oh my god how am I going to stick them 
to the crosses <laughs> and I hadn't figured that out. And I didn't like, I didn't even think it through. So I get to that point and I'm like, well, I've got it. I had just started experimenting outside of school, like in my house with encaustic and I had a pancake griddle. And I was like, well, let me get my pancake griddle out. And I like set the wax Barbies on the pancake griddle and got them like nice and like melted pool hot and then stuck it to the yarn cross and then just sat back and like held my breath and prayed. I'm like, this has got to, <laughs> I have no other way to attach these things to these. Had I been smart when I cast the Barbies, I probably would have like inset some wire or something. Yeah. But I had already cast all the Barbies. <laughs> I took out a paraffin wax and I was like, I'm not doing this again. It had taken so long. And it just worked like it was paraffin wax, which gets really hard and firm yeah. and full and it's not soft at all. It doesn't get warm at all. You have to get it like at a really high temperature. So I stuck the Barbies on the, the, the yarn crosses, yarn covered crosses. And it just worked probably all <laughs> like yarn was wool. So yeah. it had like lots experiences where it didn't totally fail it was like by ingenuity and the skin of my teeth I have been able to bail myself out of me right <laughs> you know, that was my whole experience and it did so much good for me so I've had I guess I've had a lot of moments of absolute close failure but quick thinking and just like creative problem solving was out just to pull myself out by the skin of my teeth. I had so many moments like that. It almost seems like every project I did in school was like that. <laughs> I, I've always kind of felt like those moments, like, especially when you're able to figure out a solution and do it. I mean, it's so powerful. Like you feel like, yes, I figured it out and I did it. You know what I wanted to do. I made it happen. You know, and think about what that does for a kid. Yeah, I was saying I have kids who like break down and start. You can always tell which kids have somebody standing over their shoulder all the time because they're the ones that like they do one little thing, not the exact way you've told them to do it. And they just break down in tears. And you're like, no, really, it's hey, you know, so so many times this year already, like I said, right now I'm teaching third graders. It's been like it's not wrong. It's different. We're doing, print. we just did printmaking and we don't have time for that really. I only have 45 minutes with them. So I came up with a way to uh, make plates where they didn't have to carve. Mm -hmm. And um, I just made it up on the fly and it actually worked. So that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had silhouettes of animals, like a fish and an owl and a couple others. And I'm like, now take these geometric shapes and make this object out of simpler shapes. We're not talking about details, texture of the hair, anything. I want you to build the simple form or shape of this animal with these geometric shapes. Yeah. Talk about organic shapes and geometric shape. Anyway, um, and this these kids getting so upset. They're like, my owl doesn't look like an owl. And I was like, so many of them ended up looking like these really, really super cool robots. And I was like, for <laughs> Forget I ever brought animals in this room. I was like, these are so cool. Like this could be a robot or a machine that did this. Right. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, see, these are so much cooler than what we were trying to make. <laughs> so, and that in a way is also creative problem solving. Do you know what I mean? 
I think even if you were 50 years old and you were trying to do something new and you worked your way out of a, a major failure in a corner, yeah. you would feel really good. You know, like every time you solve a problem, you're storing these pathways to solutions in your brain. And the next time you come up against a problem like this, even if it's a completely different setting, the importance is that you've gone through the failure. You've set yourself up for the failure and you found a solution and that solution is stored in your brain. You don't ever get rid of it. Yeah. And you never know when it will come in handy again. So what would be like some advice that you would give someone just starting out or, you know, just setting off on trying to become an artist? What would be some advice that you would share with them? You know, what I used to tell myself when I first started making art is try to make everything as ugly as possible. You know, like (laughs) my mom wanted to make me an Afghan one time. And I don't know if I was just in a mood or if I didn't want an Afghan or I don't know. But I just told my mom, like, make me the ugliest thing you can make me. And she did. <laughs> and I was, but it turned out so great. Like, it was so weird. And I just love here because you weren't, I guess when, oh, who was it? Umberto Echo uh, wrote a book about beauty. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're trying to fit within the aesthetic parameters of what is agreed, because beauty is an agreed upon thing, right? It's like a qualifier or a quantifier that has to be these specific things to be considered like beautiful or the most beautiful. He's like, that's very limiting. But if you work in the anti-aesthetic and you work in the ugly, the possibilities are endless. Oh, and the other thing I would say is read as much as possible. I can't tell you how many times I've come across an art student on the university level who is in it probably for the same reasons I was, is that I wanted to work with my hands, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to work with my body, something that was kind of physically exhausting and mentally exhausting. They just wanted to work with their hands because they thought they could get out of thinking about it and writing about it and reading about it. You know, there weren't so many tests. Yeah. You made, you turned it in for critique, right? We didn't even have textbooks. Yeah. The majority of my studio art classes, because we had to buy materials, they, they waived the textbooks, but they would bring us articles to read like in depth, really heady philosophical stuff, like really hard to digest, you know, it's just read as much as possible. Read about all your famous artists, read some biographies, read some art theory books, read some, you know, buy as many of those, like I call them instructables, books about how to do things, the pastel Bible, read it and read it all, you know, the blogs that you love the most, get some magazine subscriptions to some art magazines, like not just, to read as much as possible, but you have to keep, you have to make an effort to keep yourself in that world. For me, it's just like a career is a, a, a lifestyle, not a job. Right. Yeah. So I'm just, that's what I want to consume all the time. That's what yeah. I want in all the time. That's what I want to read about when I'm, you know, scrolling through Facebook or TikTok. That's the ones I stop on. Yeah. <laughs> starting out and you don't really know how into 
you know, how important it is for you. Just read about it as much as possible because finding art communities, finding people to talk shop with, mm-hmm. talk shop, talking shop is one of my favorite things, but finding someone to talk about the qualities paint or the new colors of paint or the experiments I've tried with particular paints, finding those communities is hard. And the forums, while helpful when trying to find solutions, do not fill that cup. Do you know what I'm saying? But the, the magazine subscriptions where they're really diving into like an artist process and their uh, questions for themselves while they're making art. And like I said, the biographies, I love the biographies and just learning new processes, whether you plan on using them or not, <laughs> it, just reading about them and having that knowledge, because you never know what it is about that medium that you could apply to the medium you're using to start doing something different that maybe yeah. other people have not done before, but just read yeah. and read about art as much as possible, whether you plan to use that information or that writing, like the information learned or the writing, your reflections or not do it anyway, just like overwhelm yourself, find as much media about art as you can printed media, online media about art, continuously learning, like don't stop learning basically, you know? Well, I think if you're making art, you never stop learning anyway, because you're actually putting you're, you're putting something into this world. Does yeah. that make sense? You're sure. not just watching something or like writing about, like you're, you're taking something that is, doesn't exist yet mm. and putting it into the world. So as you work with say watercolor, which I feel is like the most unforgiving, hardest painting medium of all time, as you're making things, you're, you can't ever have complete control or any material. So you're always going to be learning things, you know, but yeah, I I guess it's more about just like feeding yourself because Mm -hmm. it's not something that is mainstream necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Like actively seek it out. Yes. Right. You have to put more of an effort. Like if it was, if you were in love with fashion, that, that's fed to you all the time constantly destroying your idea of what art is or what is capable in art. Mm-hmm. The more you the more you start to learn that art is just as diverse as humans because art is a humanity. It's a human practice. It's human created. It's just something that we do. And so it's literally art is as varied as people are. Mm-hmm. And so don't, like you were saying, if, if you, think art like this one thing you're you're kind of it's going to fizzle out it's going to stop but defining what art is and seeing all the things that art is then you're more likely to continue making art Mm -hmm. right because really it's uh should be authentically an an expression of you and you continue to grow so your art's going to change yeah but or what you've been told that it is Yes, very Which true. Is a big one. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to mention. I think you had asked me before um, this podcast interview that some of the books are my favorite books anyway. One of them is The Artist's Way. Um, by Ju- is it Julie Cameron? Julia yeah. Cameron? Julia. Julia or Julie Cameron? That one is really good. 
you have to be careful who you talk to art about, or especially who you talk about your own personal art about, because like you said, mm-hmm. people are with very concrete, determined ideas of what even qualifies as art or not art. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then if it's someone that, especially I would say if you're a child or a young person or just starting out and it's someone that you kind of get validation from like a, like a parent or a teacher or someone that you want their respect and they say, well, this is what it is. This is what's right. Yeah. But in your heart, you're thinking, but that's not, that's not what I think it is. And then you start, you go through the cycle of questioning yourself and your your own intuition about making, because you're like, is this, am I wrong? Am I wrong about this? Is this, is this not art? (laughs) You know, it's really funny you say that because like when I went through undergrad was dealing with both sides of that coin at the exact same time. I had an art history professor teaching contemporary art history. Mm-hmm. Kind of like was trying to destroy our concept of what art was all the time. Yeah. At the same time I was taking art with you know, my printmaking professor and my painting professor who were very clear in what their ideas of what not what art was but what was valid now in the art world like what was derivative artwork or what was you know that lame or you don't want to get pigeonholed into that you know we want you to make like this kind of art yeah at the same time we had this art history professor who is constantly destroying our very concept of art to the point where we wondered if art was really even a thing anymore (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Really, it was really kind of a gift, you know, to have him there while you had these other people telling you, you know, if your work's going to be valid and you're going to be successful as an artist, you need to make art in this stream or like this. Yeah. Yeah. Were you saying that Julia Cameron say something about that in that book? Something about not talking to certain people about? It's about connecting with the person you were before all these outside influences started telling you and what was acceptable is who you were and what was not for the people who try to take your art energy out of you. They're basically like the takers. Yeah. And they take away from you this uh, activation energy for making art, or they talk you down for making art. They, and it's like, don't talk to the people who are over logical. Don't talk to the people who, you know, the only things they say about your art is that it's bad. Don't talk to the people who say that making art is selfish. Don't talk to the people, you know, all these things, all these reasons that we use to not make art. Mm-hmm are saying those things and doing those things and acting that way do not include them in your art making practice don't talk to them about your art don't ask them for their opinion on your art don't talk art with them yeah (laughs) because any experience say you have like all this energy to make art and then you go interact with that person you tell them hey i'm going to make art or what do you think about this piece and whatever it is they say they just all that energy you had stored up to make the art leaves you through your feet and goes into the ground and disappears. Those are the people you want. I feel like I've experienced that. <laughs> I physically in my body 
experienced exactly that thing. And that, that book made so much sense to me. That is a great book for new artists. Even if you've been making art for 30 years, do and you have not had, you know, an experience with this book Mm. do, because if you're stuck making the same thing all the time and you want to go into new work and new ground, this book will take you there. You know, like I said, in like a week or two yeah I feel like it's one that you share with everybody like and I feel like it's a very common commonly loved book it's when you share and give to others but also that you may even revisit again you You know it's like a workbook kind of in a way so it's something that you can go through over and over and over again Mm mm-hmm you're wanting to push your artwork in a new direction or gain new ground in a particular medium there's other research and work that you have to do but this can get you started you know down mine is like skills and materials that book can get you to the ideas of the new work yeah yeah thinking differently and like a different perspective times thousand that book this book right here i'm telling you is like I don't even have like a, a, a <laughs> it's that good. You're like, I'm, I'm speechless <laughs> parallel for this book. It, it reminds me of Julia Cameron's book. And I bought this after doing Julia Cameron's book, but this is like serious next level. You cannot pop this one. This one is like the Einstein or the Stephen Hawking of getting into the artist's mind. This is like, uh, is it called mapping? Yeah, it's called Mapping the Intelligence of Artistic Work, an Explorative Guide to Making, Thinking, and Writing by Ann West. And it was put Ooh. out by one of the presses, Maine College of Art. Maine College of Art. And it, I don't, like I said, I tried to look up this book to see if I could buy it for somebody else. It cost me $135, I think. I think it, you know, those university I mean, presses, they out and then they quit, make, they quit making it. Yeah. So, run uh an edition or two editions or however many editions of that and then they just quit selling it because they're getting new research at the university all the time they're always publishing new things yeah the first exercise in this book has you write anything and everything you know about silence so any thought that's crossed your mind any experience that you've ever had with silence they want you to write it. And it is again, a like workbook. Yeah. Like this, this one is layers of intimacy. Wow. For the ideas of intimacy. It is the most, like I, when I, last year I sold, like I said, I think I sold 300 plus books. I got yeah. rid of like things to just like start over. I just needed to like start over and really get to the serious work, the work I really wanted to make like my life's work, the stuff I wanted to commit myself to forever. And this book is like one of, I think I got like 30 left. Most of them are Dada books and about Marcel Duchamp and women in Dada and stuff like that. But this one, if you can get a copy of this book and you've been making art for a long time and you've already done Julia Cameron, you need to find a copy. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's fantastic. So who would you say is one of your favorite artists? So if I was thinking like art historically, I will always go to Van Gogh. Mm. The things that I am obsessed with are color and texture. Mm. 
I would say Georgia O'Keeffe, but I'm not interested in her oil paintings. I like her abstract watercolors. Mm. Abstract watercolors to me were so much better than her oil paintings of like the desert or whatever. Uh, One of my favorite artists was Trenton Doyle Hancock. Mm -hmm. Felt paintings, but he also did this whole print. He's a printmaker, did all these printmaking or prints of this story called Me a Mound. And I used to own a copy. I don't have it anymore. I got rid of it. But Julie Moretto, probably, which is funny because both of those artists, my painting professor, uh, Jill, introduced to me. And they're still by far my favorite in different classes, of course. But Julie Moretto's work is all about mark making. But it's also about like, which I just learned this in graduate school, that what she was working with was systems knowledge. Hmm. for research and systems knowledge like how we organize things how things are organized like diagram maps in Trenton Doyle Hancock's work I find this complete unrefinedness that kind of reminds me of the way that you know these military guys and their wives all talked and talked to each other without any kind of bs you know what I'm saying Again, the same painting professor, Catherine Jill Johnson at UAH, would make us do, she's like, you have to write about your art. Your art. Mm-hmm. And if you go for your MFA, you need to start writing about your art. Just journal about it. Like, mm-hmm. you have to start writing about your art because if you can't draw and talk to people about your art, who you trust to support you or just, you know, again, it's about energy exchange. You don't want somebody to talk you out of making art or make you feel like you shouldn't be making yeah. art. And talking about it and writing about it, that's how you learn to draw the parallels. That's how you find out what's important. That's how you end up making the work that is authentically you that nobody else can make. You know, that's what you're looking for is to make the work um, that is yours. All right. Well, um, though, this is awesome. This is amazing. Um, I really appreciate it. And where... Where can we find your art or more about you? Okay. Well, I have a website. It is uh, linguiststudio.com, L-E-N-U-U-V-I-S-T, studio.com. And that's my main website where my CV is, my, you know, uh, finished bodies of work, which are, it's interesting because I'm, it's fixing to do a complete, overhaul it's yeah. gonna have I'm working on a complete new two or three new bodies of work so but I also have an Instagram it's Lindquist underscore studio on Instagram I have a Facebook that I don't really I'm I don't really use my Facebook that much but um I also have a blog uh artrivative.com uh and it has to do with like science and art and the good and bad of derivative anyway yeah. art rivet I actually just started a new project that I haven't put on any of my social media yet because it's in the beginning stages, but it's hide and go seek art and it's hide and go dot com. And I take little one inch by one inch ampersand tiles and series of art. And then I go and leave them in random places and you can use, uh, either Google maps or, um, coordinates or an app like that. You type in the coordinates and it will take you where the art is and you can have it. You can take it. It's yours. Oh, wow. It, 
it doesn't cost anything. It's just a way to like, so it's kind of like a get outside, but kind of like an explore your town, mm-hmm. you know, but kind of a random happening experience with experience with art as well. Yeah. Because if you go to the website, so it's just like an, a fun thing, a different way for people engaged, with, you know, with art. It's kind of, kind of like Pokemon Go. And then again, I've, I've got a new oil painting series going and some drawings and some pastels. Well, thank you again. And everyone needs to check out Tabitha's blog and Instagram. It is so inspirational and interesting. So thank you for listening to Art Talk with April. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe.